This is Frontierland with Dr. Dean Allen. Mark Boucher can rightly be described as a South African cricket legend. This record-breaking wicketkeeper batsman from the Eastern Cape entertained audiences throughout the world during an illustrious career. I'm delighted to launch the second series of Frontierland as I chat to Mark about his cricketing days, his current coaching career, as well as his passion for conservation. Enjoy. Well, Mark, what a pleasure. As a big cricket fan, I'm really looking forward to this interview. But it's been over 10 years now since you retired from playing international cricket. First of all, do you miss it? And has the coaching filled the gap? Um, I I, I miss the camaraderie in the dressing room, Um, being a player. I think uh, as a... As an actual cricketer, my, my body was sore when I when I retired. Uh, my back, I had a couple of back issues and that. So my body is saying thank you very much for for not continuing. Um, but I was brought up, you know, playing playing sport. Um, I still do love sports. I play a lot of golf. Um, so I get my sort of kicks out of out of competition in that sort of way. I do a lot of trail running as well, that I can physically try push myself. But I don't think I miss the playing side of things. I think um, just what happens in the change in the camaraderie as a player. Uh, as I said, you know, I'm, I am coaching at the moment, so I've, I'm still in that environment. But it's more, it's, it's a completely different uh, way of looking at things now. Um, you can't be a part of the guys all the time. You can to a certain extent, but you've got to hold your back at, hold yourself back at times, um, being a coach and and try and lead and, and guide guys. Um, I see a lot of young Mark Bouchers in our change rooms. At the moment, and I think, oh, yeah, was I like that? And it's quite embarrassing, but yeah, I find myself having to to hold myself back and and, and play more of a fatherly role in it in addressing right now, which which is in- interesting in itself. It brings a different dynamic um, to to not only me as a person, but my my, heart, my whole outlook on on life as well, especially being a parent now as well. Yeah. So it's quite it's quite a different dynamic, but I wouldn't say I miss the game. Um, I just miss a couple of things about it. Are you a little bit uh, envious of the money they earn? Some of these guys, I mean, obviously the, the Indian game has now taken over this, uh, the, the T20. We've just had experienced the incredible T20 phenomenon here in South Africa. And a lot of these guys can make a good living from the game. Yeah, look, I wouldn't, I'm not, not envious of the guys. I, I think that there's good money in coaching now as well. Um, I, I sort of caught the back end of it. I mean, that that really helped me in my career as well. Um, you know, I played three three or four years of RPL, which was unbelievable. Uh, just to experience everything was was great. The money side, yes, was, was fantastic, and it, it gave me a bit of a, a shoot right towards the end of my, my career, which is which is great. But I feel sorry for the guys who who were great players, um, and there were a lot of them before us as well who who didn't catch that back end and. It's quite sad you see them nowadays and, and a couple of them are, are suffering and doing whatever they can to, to sort of make ends meet in it. And, yeah, and then you get some of these youngsters who come in today and, and maybe fall in with their, their ass in the butter, if you want to say it like that. Um, and they don't really know, uh, you know, they can't appreciate the fact of how hard some people had to work in order to, to just stay, uh, keep the, keeping their heads above, above the water. But that's where a coach comes in and he's got to try and explain to them that, you know, there's still a lot of hard work even though the money's coming in. Sometimes you've got to remind them that you put the hard work in first and then the money will come, not the other way around. So I think that's quite important for any youngster to coming into into this sport. Uh, it's, it's quite important um, right now in life as well because there's a lot of money coming in. I don't see it getting any worse. I, I, I see it getting better. The game of cricket's getting bigger. Um, you know, there's a lot more competitions. There's a lot more opportunities for guys. I do hope that they 
they keep Test cricket alive and the longer format of the game alive. I think that's still the truest format. It's just it's funny. It's quite ironic that the your probably your easiest version of the game is your biggest money spinner. Um, I don't know if it should be like that, but uh, it's probably your most entertaining and bringing in a different crowd, which which has been good for the game, I think. But I think given your style of batting, you'd have, you'd have done pretty well, wouldn't you? Um, yeah, I was a slogger, so <laughs> yes, I would have I would have been fairly good. But yeah, look, I, I played. Funny enough, our first 20, T20 World Cup that we played in in, in South Africa, we thought, oh, what's this hit and giggle cricket? Uh, this is not going to last. And oh, how wrong are we? Um, Amazing. Yeah, we we didn't give a lot of emphasis to to T20 cricket in the beginning. But now, I mean, with the amount of money that that's been brought in, most cricketers are probably sort of slant towards T20 cricket rather than the four-day stuff or test cricket, um, which is a concern, but uh, yeah, it is what it is. Well, you, you, you hung up the gloves in 2012, and um, the irony, of course, is um, people are aware of the awful eye injury that you suffered. Ironically, Mark, it was at my home ground, Taunton. I'm a Somerset boy, so I'm sure Taunton will always have memories for you. How are you now? You're looking fit. You look like you could still play, by the way. I mean, how's, how is life? How's health? Yeah, I've, yeah, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't change it for the world. I think it's changed me in a, in a better way as a, as a person going through what I went through. Um, now I think sometimes you, you look at it and you, a lot of people say, yeah, are you angry with what happened? No, not at all. I think there's a lot of other things that have happened to people that's, that's far worse. I can still run. Um, my mates still make jokes to me if they come up on my left-hand side and I can't really see them. So. You know, I'm still very much living the life that I would live. I play golf still. I'm able to to uh, visit places, and that you know, it, it hasn't really changed my life at all. To be fair, um, it just changed me as a person. <clears throat> Probably being more more appreciative of, of of what what I had the opportunity to do. Um, and now I'm coaching, so I'm still very much in the game. Yeah. So yeah, it's, well, you- it's, it's been good. You're an Eastern Cape boy, of course, and that brings us together here because I've fallen in love with Eastern Cape, having moved to Port Elizabeth. You grew up in East London. You went to Selborne College. Was it there that you fell in love with the game of cricket? Um, I actually was never really a cricket player. Um, I really enjoyed rugby at, at school, but I was, I was too small. So when I got into high school, my dad sort of said to me, "Listen, you're going to get injured. Uh, these boys are running around you, and you know your heart's in the game." I'm the type of guy that would run into a tackle head first uh, and probably get blown away by a couple of the big guys. Um, so yeah, I had to make a decision to to stop playing rugby, which I was very disappointed with. Um, I was then, you know, a squash player wow. and a far better squash player than I was a cricket player, to be to be quite frank. There was no money in the game of squash, though. Um, it, it is a, it's a relentless game as well. You've got to be very fit and, and you've got to give a lot of your time and effort, which I think I've learned a lot of hard lessons as a youngster as well, which which stood me in good stead for for the game of cricket. The cricket side, um, I was quite lucky to be honest. Um, I think I had one one or two very good seasons at a at an important time of, of any young uh, young cricketer's uh, sort of career or start of his career at schoolboy level. And I was elevated to to first, the Selborne first team at a young age, and then also into board of schools. And then I had a very good sort of uh, a week away uh, with the border team, and I managed to make the SA schools team. Um, I did, didn't for the life of me think that I was good enough to make the SA schools team. And then I sort of went into to play against India, um, and I did really well there. So. Things almost just opened up for me where I was very, very fortunate. And I always look at it like that and, and just say, well, if you get an opportunity in life, then 
you've got to try to take it. It's, it's your responsibility to take that, that opportunity that you get given. Definitely. I do believe things happen for a reason. It was going to be your path, and we'll, we'll talk about now how you've used that uh, that good fortune to go on to even better things, I believe. But was it growing up then in Eastern Cape where you developed your appreciation for wildlife and the natural world? No, um, not at all. I think... Um, I think I've, I've, well, I know I've always enjoyed animals. Um, I didn't really know anything about the bush, if you want to call it that. In the Eastern Cape, when when I was there, uh, there was no there was no game reserves uh, or anything like that uh, to to go to as a youngster. The, f- the furthest, the, the most wildest sort of area that we went to is probably the, the wild the wild coast area. Um, we we used to go to Morgan Bay quite a bit as a family. Uh, in the caravan park there, so we used to go fishing and surfing and appreciate nature in that sort of way. I really enjoyed, used to, we used to get into a little boat at, at night and go into the Carmouth River and, and sit there throughout the whole night and I really enjoyed that sort of stuff. But nothing nothing from a wild perspective. That only really came came about sort of 15, 20 years ago um, when Albie Morkel actually took me to his uncle's farm in uh, in the Umbabat area. Um, up, up near the, the Timberbati, and that's the first time I really got to see wild animals, oh. and it was after that that I just fell in love with it, and I, yeah, I just wanted to be there more often. I, that's the thing, you get brought up on the coast, you sometimes take the coast for for granted. Um, it, it wasn't my ambition to, to stay on the coast, it was actually I wanted to get to the bush, that's how much I fell in love with it. Amazing. No, that's incredible because, as we know, the Eastern Cape has everything, doesn't it? It has the coast, it has that wildlife, it has the history and stuff like that. So it took a trip with Albie Morkel, of all people, to yeah. turn your head. Yeah, it was it, it was a good trip as well. We, it wasn't even in a big five reserve. Um, but I remember we actually, myself, Albie, I think it was AB, AB um, de Villiers as well, we were still training a bit for cricket, so we wanted to have a run. Um, and we went running along the fence line the one day and... There was actually a, a white line sanctuary right next to us, and we were running past these white lines. And I, I think about that today, and I think how easy those lines could actually get through that fence. And people sometimes look at that, and now I know that I'd never be running past these white lines again, um, so close, and thinking that uh, you know we we invincible. But yeah, it wasn't even in a, a big far reserve, but we we saw some fantastic animals along the way. We went into Thorny Bush and, and had a drive there. Um, and that was, yeah, that was my first taste of it. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned great cricketers like A.B. de Villiers, of course. I mean, you, you've gone down as one of the greatest wicketkeeper batsmen of all time. So your legacy was actually assured through the game. But instead, back in 2012, just as you retired, you created the Boucher legacy, which instead looks at saving some of our most endangered species. So this perhaps could be your legacy. Tell us more about that and what drove you to do that. Yeah, so... Once again, it was was with a, a group of cricketers, and Albi seems to be the common denominator, and, and he really is. He's, he was a part of the whole reason the Boucher legacy was born. I think the reason why it, it got to the, the Boucher legacy, and we went through through SAB conservation organisation, and then a change to the Castle Lager um, experience as well, and then it finished off with the Boucher legacy. But Albi had a, a massive part to play in, in the whole thing as well. It's just the fact that he was busy playing cricket, and I retired. So I was the one who sort of took the whole thing and ran with it. Um, but it actually, the Boucher Legacy was born in, in uh, the Kruger National Park where we went to um, States Kakuza and a mate of ours by the name of Jean Rousseau and his dad, Frick Rousseau, who headed up the, the private investigations units of, of Four Sand Parks in the Kruger Park. They took us on a, a fishing experience. 
um, and we went fishing and, and we were doing tiger fishing and we decided to stay out in the middle of nowhere and it was there that uh, probably 11 o'clock at night we were sitting around telling stories around the fire lines, hyenas going mad around us um, and we bumped into an anti-poaching unit um, group of guys and, and they came and sat around the fire and they were telling us stories about the tough times that they were busy going through on the war against um, you know, poaching and, and in particular rhinos. And it was there that we made a decision that how could we combine conservation and sport uh, and try to use a couple of our influences and, and, and sponsors and, and donors to try and help these guys out in any way we could. So I eventually I went back to, to Johannesburg after that and got, got hold of uh, mates of us from SAB, Miller, and, um, and we, we sort of got to, together and, and we said, listen, we want to try and help out with regards to certain things, in particular the DNA system. At that stage, it was, was, was talked about a lot. One of the, the major problems was prosecuting um, poachers. And that's, that's how it all got started. And yeah, here we are, 10, yeah, 10 years later. Incredible, and incredible work you do. I mean, the rhino, the plight of the rhino, of course, is well publicized, but it's not just rhino. You help support projects to protect wild dogs, for example, and the pangolin. What other species are at threat right now? So yeah, so it, it started off with just the rhino stuff. Um, there's been a lot of organisations that are that are throwing their weight behind rhino, um, and and rightfully so because the the species is in is in grave danger. Um, but yeah, we, we decided to to move our focus to endangered mammals. Um, so our wild dog programs are fantastic as well. We we, we focus on the protection and, and tracking of the, of these animals in particular. Uh, pangolin, as you as you mentioned, it's the most trafficked mammal in, in the world at the moment, and yeah, that was something. They, they don't often get the, the the sort of highlight because it's it's a smaller species. So people like talking about the nice species to see. You don't see a lot of pangolin running around, um, but yeah, that that is one animal that that we really are close to as well. We're hope, hoping that the African Pangolin Working Group, um, with with uh, taking these animals, have been poached. Uh, there's a whole rehabilitation process that it goes through and then actually taking and putting them back in the wild and we use the telemetry system to, to do that as well. And so that's something we've been really working hard at as well. We want to get involved in cheetahs as well. Cheetahs also endangered. Um, so we're working with wild vets to wild vet groups to, to try and uh, find a program that, that uh, we can put our, put our sort of weight behind as well. So it, it really is just for, for all endangered species. Um, and finding a, a, a project that we feel is going to make a difference. Um, and I think that's where, that's where we're at at the moment. It, it's tough raising funds. Um, it really is. And, you know, we've, we've just had a, the Art for Conservation auction now, which has raised some good funds. So we, we need to keep these projects going. These are not like little once-off projects that we're working on. It's a five- to ten-year project. Um, and I think that's important for us as well. So we've got to keep, we've got to keep working hard for these funds. Without a doubt, I mean, hopefully people listening now will be inspired with the work you're doing. Um, I, looking at uh, how you how you build this actual project, though, they're based on three pillars: prosecution, conservation, and education. Why are they important? Well, I think the prosecution is important. That's the way it started, and that's purely came from our rangers in the Kruger National Park. And, you know, once you once you, you catch someone, you've got to put them to to a, a, a crime scene attaching to a crime scene. So the DNA system for us was really important. Basically, if you find a horn, you can link the DNA of that horn to a carcass. 
and you know there's different ways that you can find DNA um, from a rhino horn on people as well and you know that you use ammunition in crime scenes and all that type of stuff so that was really important for us the education side is just educating people about what's actually happening um, I think you know I'm living in Cape Town over here. I speak to a couple of my mates. They don't think it's their problem because it's happening in the Kruger National Park and around the country. There are not many game reserves over here. And sometimes you can go, oh, that's got nothing to do with me. Well, you're South African. It has got something to do with you. This is a, you know, wildlife's one of our biggest assets, if not our biggest asset. Um, it brings a lot of money in. And we only utilize probably 60% of what we could actually utilize. So this is, this is like gold dust to us, and we've got to look after it. Um, so I think the education around that is, is quite important. And for me, you know, we talk about an emotion behind um, a species or, or animals and all that type of stuff. Um, South Africans have got to realize that, you know, th this, is, this is something that we've got to look after. Um, and education, all that type of stuff is, for me, is, is, is key. No, definitely. How can people find out more about what you do and how can they get involved? So we've got a, a website, www.bouchelegacy.co.za. So, you know, we've got a whole lot of different programs um, and projects that we, we're on about. Um, and I understand that times are tough at the moment. Um, but yeah, as, as I said, if, you, if you're educating yourself about it and, and just spreading the word about uh, what is actually going on, if you've got the means to donate money, I mean, money is, is very important with regards to conservation. Um, you know, nothing can, no, none of these projects will, will fly if you haven't got the funds to, to, to sort of donate. Um, and every little bit counts. Um, I know that there are a lot of people who've got a lot of money, a lot of people can only afford a, a little bit, and we appreciate both sides of that. Well, as you know, I work with a man called Adrian Gardner, another proud Eastern Cape man, of course. He's just turned 80, would you believe it? But he's still busy with conservation projects throughout Africa. Do you think you'll be busy with this for the rest of your life? I hope so. Um, there are a couple of guys in, in our country who have done unbelievable work for conservation. Um, Adrian is one of them. Um, you've got the Jan Ruperts as well, um, you know, Paul Harris. These guys, they, they, they work behind the scenes, a lot of them, and for me, if I look up to these, these people, um, I want to be in their situation as well. And, and if I get to, if, I, if I'm lucky to get to the age of, of 60, 70, 80, then yes, absolutely. Conservation, is, it's in your blood. Um, and I wasn't born with it, but it's touched me. And I will forever have a passion for it. We, we do all our work pro bono as well. Um, it's just, it, it, it gives me a sense of, of belonging um, on our planet as well. And it, uh, yeah, I've, I've never, actually John T. Rhodes once said to me, and I know that he won't mind me saying this, but he said to me that once I've finished retiring, or, or once I've finished retired from cricket, you'll never feel that same sort of passion about going out and winning a game for your country again. And I actually saw him about four or five years later and I said to him, I said, Joe, you were wrong because the work that we sometimes do in the bush is, is maybe collaring a wild dog or, or, or taking a rhino down and, and taking the horn off and that animal then standing up and afterwards looking at that animal going, you know, it's going to have a better chance of surviving because of what we are doing. That gave me the same passion and that same feeling. So he was wrong, but I know he was, he was coming from a good place, but that gave me the same, same sort of passion and feeling of, of winning a game for my country, no doubt.
Well, it's clear you have got a passion for your country and I'd just like to personally thank you for all the years of pleasure you've given me on the cricket field and everyone listening, I'm sure, but also thank you for this work that you're doing because I think, uh, as you said, we have got something unique here in Southern Africa. It is our wildlife and uh, let's hope we can encourage people to look after it but also come and experience it with us. Thank you, Mark. Thank you very much, Dean. Pleasure. That was Frontierland with Dr. Dean Allen. For more podcasts, visit algoafm.co.za.